Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. So as you should be aware at this point in the service especially, um, we are in the midst of our Advent season. This is week two. So we're in December now. If you haven't done your Christmas shopping, I would highly suggest you get on that. Um, And maybe even today after service. Um, So Advent means coming and arrival. It's the season where we are remembering and celebrating the past Advent of Jesus' birth and then also anticipating the future Advent of Christ's return. It's the season of anticipation and waiting. Last week, we heard from Melissa, who talked about Zachariah's story and how he responded to this birth announcement, to the angel's greeting to him. We saw how he wrestled with doubt and even had the audacity to question the angel's words to him, despite already hearing this prophecy that had been spoken years before. Melissa also touched on this Advent theme of waiting and this tension that we live in while we are in between Advents. And we're going to sit in this theme of waiting a little bit more today as we zoom in on Elizabeth's side of the story. We're going to see how her faith and patient expectation are, give us this beautiful testimony of how seasons of waiting aren't just wasted seasons, but can really be training ground where our faith is enlarged. Um, so I want to put us into Elizabeth's shoes here for a minute. And when we talk about waiting, what is the first thing that comes to mind for you? How do you currently know longing, or how have you experienced it previously? How have you experienced this waiting that is strenuous and fueled by this optimistic hope that just doesn't seem to relent? Because if you identify with any of that, if you currently are living in this tension of waiting, then Elizabeth is your girl, and her story and testimony is going to be one that can encourage you as you wait on this journey. And if you're not waiting, if you don't currently find yourself in this tension state, I want you to hold on to this message and Elizabeth's story for the future, because it's coming. Um, Henry Nouwen has this quote that says, all of life is waiting, which I love. It's this idea that our embodied human experience is one of waiting. Whether long-term like Elizabeth or short-term, on this side of heaven, we all know and experience waiting. This is the tension that Melissa, again, recognized last week, and we're remembering this first coming of Christ and also longing to be reunited with him in a second. We're in this waiting process, in this tension. Okay, so who is Elizabeth? Let's look a little closer at her. We don't get many verses that speak to Elizabeth's experience. We know that she was married to Zechariah, that they both came from priestly lines, and that they were considered righteous. But despite all of this, despite her faithfulness and good fortune, Elizabeth was never able to conceive. And now, being of old age, it would seem that the window for children was long past her. And we know that this has likely brought shame upon her. And one verse it even says that it's been a source of shame for her. At this time in the Bible, women's roles was to carry on their family's line. This was their cultural expectation and duty. The bigger your family line, the greater the honor that was given to you. I want to pause on this and just note the sensitivity of this topic. For many reasons, pregnancy or difficulty conceiving is still very much an active struggle and source of pain and loss. While thankfully, our society has progressed quite a bit and women's roles have expanded beyond this one thing, I want us to still remember that this topic carries pain for many. And if this is you, if this has been your story or where you find yourself today, I want you to know that we see you that we honor you and your story, and that both of those things matter to us and God. 
looking at Elizabeth again. While we don't know this from scripture, I can imagine that after a lifetime of trying to conceive, or maybe even a few miscarriages along the way, the roller coaster of hope was exhausting, and Elizabeth put this dream to rest. I wonder if she even found peace in her old age, being able to hide this desire deep away in her heart. But now, in today's reading, we meet a different Elizabeth. This is an Elizabeth who's going to have a baby. This is an Elizabeth who has longed for a child for many years to call her own. This is an Elizabeth who has watched friend after friend after friend announce that they're pregnant and has celebrated them, likely. This is an Elizabeth who has attended a plethora of baby showers for women who are half of her age, or whatever the biblical equivalent of a baby shower would be. (laughs) This is an Elizabeth who has watched women who are far less mature or far less righteous than her get the honor of having a baby of their own and continue on their family legacy. It's this Elizabeth who is now expecting her own child. This is her moment. She is going to have a baby. And I'm just so intrigued by her actions. What does she do? Let's look at verse 23 and 24. It says, when, this time, when his time of service was completed, he, Zechariah, returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Elizabeth goes into hiding. She goes into seclusion. I want you to hold on to that piece of information. I will come back to it. Um, We're going to pause, though, and put Elizabeth's story to a side, and I want to tell you a little bit of a story of my own. It was early March of 2020. I'm sure you guys can remember where you were. I was on staff at a church in Washington, D.C., and having meetings talking about how much exactly hand sanitizer we were going to need for an upcoming church service. Blissfully naive that that service would never happen and unaware of what truly awaited us completely unrelated to COVID or any of that, I personally was going through a heartbreak of sorts, a miscarriage of hope, as I like to call it. Basically, what happened in my life is that I had thought something was going to happen, it didn't, and I was back into this perpetual season of waiting. I remember feeling confused, disappointed, and just plain out exhausted. And then this next part might sound a little wild or hokey, and maybe it is. I'm willing to admit that. Um, But I had a dream. In this dream, it was clear that I had been pregnant for a very, very long time, but had somehow completely forgotten. How someone could forget that they were pregnant when they were as large as I was in this dream, I'll never quite know. But the point is, I had forgotten. I was completely oblivious. My stomach was getting bigger and bigger, and it wasn't until I started having pains or feelings of contractions that I remembered, oh yeah, I'm pregnant, and I really want this child inside me. So I rushed to the hospital, being so sad, confused, and just frustrated with myself that I had forgotten. I was frantic and convinced that this baby was going to die within me if I didn't deliver it right in that second. So I rushed to the hospital, stressed, everything in me hurting and feeling like I was going to miscarry this baby if I didn't deliver it in that moment. Finally, the doctor came in, examined me, and calmly told me that it wasn't time to deliver, that I was healthy, my baby was healthy, that everything was fine, that in fact, this pain and these experiences I was having were completely normal, and that I should just go home with that peace, knowing that we'd all be all right, knowing that the baby would come when it was supposed to. And that was it. That was my dream. That was the cliffhanger of a story. Um, 
I remember waking up sleepily and writing out this dream, all the details in this little like notebook so that I wouldn't forget in the morning. It wasn't until later that week though, after having sit with this for a while, that I would hear Romans 8 read from the message translation. And I would begin to really uncover the significance that this dream might hold for me. If you're unfamiliar with the message translation, I would recommend. Um, Author Eugene Peterson has paraphrased scripture into contemporary language, and it's really beautiful. Um, Romans 8, 22 to 25. This is what it says. The joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. It's Romans 8, 22, 25. I want to just pause and be clear that my dream was a no indication that I was literally pregnant. Far from it, that was 100% not the case, just in case there was maybe speculation or confusion. Um, But it did seem to me that my dream was this picture of waiting. And I love how Romans 8 describes waiting when it says, that is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. It's beautiful. When I heard Romans 8, I was reminded of my own dream and how I forgot about this child growing in me. And I didn't even realize that I wanted it or that I was pregnant until I felt the pain that was coming. Waiting in faith can be like this. It can be like being stretched tight. You're being enlarged and making room for, and this process can be painful. If you've ever participated in yoga, um, this is a great example of how stretching or waiting can be painful. If you're holding a pose for this really long time, as you're stretching, you're increasing your ability to go deeper into this pose, but there is some pain that comes with that. And usually that's about the time where the instructor comes along and pushes you just a little bit deeper. If yoga's not your thing, you can also think of a rubber band being stretched tight and snapping. Okay, I wanna go back to Elizabeth's story now. And I wanna hold on to this idea of waiting, expanding us and enlarging our faith. There are two ways that Elizabeth responds to this pregnancy that I think really exhibits someone whose faith has been expanded and deepened throughout her seasons of waiting. I think Elizabeth also shows us someone who still has a soft heart as her hope for a child is reawakened. The first thing that sticks out to me, it's the fact that Elizabeth went into seclusion. I imagine that with Elizabeth's pregnancy, there came this reawakening of her desire for a child. This reminded me of my dream that I just told you about, where I had forgotten that I was pregnant. There was this immediate fear that my hope was going to be crushed or that I was going to lose the one thing that I longed for. It reminds me of the proverb, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Brene Brown calls this feeling um, foreboding joy. It's this experience where you jump to the worst case scenarios, holding your breath just in case something that seems good isn't as good as it seems. And I wonder if this is what Elizabeth experienced during their first few months when she went into seclusion. Verse 24 and 25, they say, she kept to herself for five months saying, this is the Lord's doing. He has shown his favor to me by removing my disgrace among people. Elizabeth kept to herself for five months. 
There's speculation over why Elizabeth would hide for five months. Some commentaries suggest that it was because Elizabeth, because Mary was supposed to be the first to know of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Others suggest that her hiddenness was done to show allegiance to her husband, who was mute at the time. Scripture doesn't give us the why to Elizabeth's hiding. In his commentary on Luke, Joel Green proposes that her hiddenness is done in modesty or to avoid further public disgrace. Anyone who has known or lost a pregnancy knows the fragility of the first trimester. Anyone who has hoped for something and experienced loss knows the ache as well personally. This pregnancy feels fragile, and Elizabeth's re-realized hope for a child feels tender. Can you imagine the immense pressure of sharing this miraculous pregnancy, this news with others and bringing them into this? First, because you yourself have hoped for it for so long, but then second, because of the angel's words that this pregnancy isn't just for you, this miracle isn't just for you, but it's for all of Israel. That's a lot of pressure. Um, to me, Elizabeth's five months of hiding is this act of self-protection and faith. Listen to the words again that she speaks over herself. This is, the Lord's, this is the Lord's doing. He has shown favor to me by removing my disgrace among other people. I imagine Elizabeth keeping herself hidden in her seclusion, repeating to herself over and over again, this is the Lord's doing. He has shown favor. This is the Lord's doing. He has shown favor. Because when you've been waiting for something for so long and you're in the midst of this miracle where you think you just might get that thing, everything around you feels fragile. Like one wrong breath and it all, could all go away. You need that convincing, that reminding. In her five months of hiding, Elizabeth was leaning on God's truth and character to encourage her faith. Melissa briefly mentioned this last week in her sermon, but Elizabeth is not the only woman in the Bible who struggled to have children. There's actually several. Um, but her story is very similar to Sarah and Abraham. But Elizabeth's response is vastly different than Sarah's. Abraham and Sarah were told on several different occasions that they would have a great nation of descendants. On one occasion, Sarah takes matters into her own hands, giving Hagar to Abraham. On another occasion, Sarah laughs when she's told that she will soon conceive. It seems that in all of her waiting, Sarah's faith didn't expand, and she still lacked full trust that God would do as he said he would. But this isn't what we see in Elizabeth. In Elizabeth, we see a woman whose waiting has not weakened her faith, but has expanded it. Elizabeth pushes herself to believe, reminding herself of God's faithfulness, that God will be good. Elizabeth is, leading, is living out this kind of faith that I think of when we read the Hebrews 11 chapter, where it says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the insurance in what we do, see, in what we do not see. The, section, the second um, action of Elizabeth's that I want to highlight is Elizabeth's response to Mary's greeting. In verse 41 of our reading from today, it says this. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Um, I love Elizabeth's greeting to Mary. It's one of joyful celebration. Um, and in it, we see Elizabeth's full of faith, even declaring that Mary is the mother of her Lord. 
I also, side note, love the response of John, a baby John in the womb of Elizabeth, um, already living out his calling, even, even from the womb, even from pre-birth. Um, I'm always amazed by John the Baptist. Um, that's a different message. Um, Elizabeth's response is amazing to me in multiple ways. First, we have Elizabeth, who is righteous in all of her ways, meeting Mary, a, y- a young, unwed, pregnant niece. It might be expected that Elizabeth would scold Mary or be upset with her for being pregnant. There's sometimes, as you might be familiar, this reputation for older, more seasoned and obedient Christians to maybe be critical or pass judgment on younger or maybe less obedient Christians. I'm sure none of us have ever actually experienced that tension in our own lives, um, but thankfully we had the Pharisees during Jesus's ministry to kind of give us that example. Um, But this wasn't Elizabeth's response. Elizabeth, throughout all of her waiting, had remained soft-hearted, and because of her deep faith, being filled with the Holy Spirit, was able to recognize the work of God through Mary. Notice the interactions between these two women, both of whom have conceived in miraculous ways. And after years of waiting for a child, this is finally Elizabeth's moment. This is her miracle. And in comes young, miraculously also pregnant Mary. But notice Elizabeth's response to her. Never once is there this spirit of competition between these two women. Elizabeth's mature faith enables her to still celebrate others well. There is a confidence in Elizabeth that only comes from a mature believer who understands the true abundance of God's kingdom. Elizabeth knows that someone else's blessing or miracle does not take away from what God is wanting to do through or in her. And she knows that there's enough of God's goodness to go around. This is the kind of faith that the Advent season is about. Advent, the season of waiting for the coming Messiah, a season of waiting for the things that we hope for the most, is also the season of faith being enlarged. It's the season of hope hope for what was lost being reunited and remembered. As I said earlier, waiting is a part of our human experience. And while our experiences are all unique, we are all waiting. And through Elizabeth, we see how our waiting can deepen our faithful expectation and that God is good and even with us throughout our seasons of waiting. Around Christmas time, especially, we talk about God as Emmanuel, the God with us. If you find yourself being especially stretched or especially living into this tension in this season, remember that you have not been left to wait alone, that Emmanuel is here, God with us. In his book, Discernment, Henry Nouwen writes about the interconnectedness of waiting and a life of faith. He says this, Waiting patiently in expectation is standing vulnerable in the presence of our loving God. This is the core of all prayer. Active waiting is being open to the promise yet to be fulfilled. Patient waiting is staying fully present in the moment. And expectant waiting is trusting that the long process will bear fruit. I wanna go back to my initial question and ask it again. What is it that you're waiting for? What is the waiting for you? Where does your expectancy feel weary or stretched? Looking at this quote from Henry Nouwen, how is your waiting and expectation bled into your prayer life? Whatever it is for you this morning, I hope that Elizabeth's story can be one that encourages you to let this tension of your waiting expand and deepen your trust. 
I want to end us and pray this over us. Will you join me? God, in all of our waiting, we're waiting for you. Our present longings, a reminder of your absence and our desire to be near to you. We ask that our waiting would expand our trust and not weaken it. We want to follow Elizabeth's example and praise you even before the results come, even before our assurance is there. Remind us of the things that we have forgotten in this season and the hope that we still wait for. In your name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.